0: You're listening to the Wobcast with the one and only, the legendary, the insurmountable Wobby.
1: Hey everyone, welcome in. It's another edition of the Wobcast. I'm your host, Mike shall coming to you from TCO Performance Center in Egan, joined as always by co-host and producer Chris Corso. Excited for today's show because it's jam-packed with lots of football talk. We're going to get to the divisional round, give you some predictions and thoughts on those games, which should be another exciting weekend of football for everyone. We'll go around the league and give you some head coach updates across the National Football League where the Green Bay Packers have chosen A new head coach and of course we'll get to fan mail but first we're going to have some good hardcore football conversation with today's guest on the Wobcast. he is matthew collar 1500 espn vikings reporter you can find him on twitter at matthew collar also the host of the purple podcast so i welcome in right now Co host and producer Chris Corso. What's up? What's going on, Wobby? And also Matthew Collar. Hi, Matthew.
0: I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: man. It's cool to have you. Now, um, we've been around each other for um, for a couple of years, but like, does are you Matthew or Matt?
0: I generally go on the air by Matthew because okay. I feel like Matt and Collar sort of run together together to be like yeah. Matt Collar.
1: Yeah. You know, and then I sound <laughs> right.
0: like a fullback.
1: Right. Got so. it. Yeah, not, that's not a bad thing, though. Right. Yeah, no, that's
0: true. No, if if I was if I had any shred of toughness, then Mac Oller would be fine. Right. But, uh, you know, Matthew for for this job. Okay. So,
1: so so you're Matthew. Also, um, I think I am on like the very edge of the millennial. Like like I think you, it's one of those deals where I can construct an argument that I'm not. I'm older than that. But like, there's some gray area on when it started, mm-hmm. and I just I felt very much in the millennial. Um, subgroup in the way you and I interacted the last couple of days because to ask you to come on to the podcast I DM'd you, you yes, know, and I, yes. I'm I'm just like I'm a real direct You're person. You're slipping
2: in DMs. these I, I, days, Yeah, I, I
1: slid into Matthew's DMs. <laughs> Because I didn't have his cell phone number. So go. I DM'd him, and I'm just like, and you finally you sent me a text, so now I have your phone. So from now on, I will call you or text you. I will not DM you.
0: That is a millennial thing to do. Yeah. I, I, the, the way I grade it is, did you play Nintendo as a kid? Because if you played Nintendo and maybe N64, Super oh, yeah. Nintendo, yeah. then I think you qualify as a millennial. If you were before Nintendo, you're probably not a millennial.
1: Yeah, and like I, I probably did technically play like Coleco Vision or one of those, but like really, when I could control my own f- thoughts and actions, I was Nintendo. So I, I think I'm, like I said, I'm in the gray area.
0: I think you get to be with us millennials that are ruining all industries. Right.
1: Well, there's there's good <laughs> and bad. There's good and bad with that. Um, but that's a topic for another podcast, another day. Um, we should talk about football and the Vikings and. Matthew, Corso and I were both talking about one of the articles you wrote recently, which, you know, all of us who do writing as part of our jobs understand that there are some things you're going to write that no one's ever going to care about and there are some things that you're going to write that really get a lot of traction. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to that. It's just sort of random. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm just guessing, based on Twitter activity and my knowledge of the industry, I'm guessing your article that you wrote about how the Vikings should consider investing in skill position players. Over the offensive line this offseason. I'm guessing that one had a lot of traction.
0: You would be correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, everyone on social media watching the games probably played into that as well. But I think that there's a consensus among Vikings fans that they need to improve their offensive line this year. And I I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I saw lots of arguing over see the teams with offensive lines win. Like, yeah, I think everybody knows that. But when you're looking at the way that they can allocate the cap space that they have, which is not going to be a ton they're not one of those teams that is up and coming and has a lot of rookie contracts they have a lot of pro bowl caliber players that they've paid to stay here so you have only so much money you can work with and when you look at the recent history of teams desperately trying to overpay offensive linemen there are a lot of times where you don't get your bang for your buck right so when I was researching just for example how Tom Compton at $800,000 compared to some of the other guys that were signed for big contracts who were guards last year in the offseason, Tom Compton either performed right on par with them or even better than a number of them. And, And a lot of times, too, you're talking about guards who are 31, 32, 33. So even the best guards on this offseason's market will, A, either go to teams that will overpay for them because they have a ton of cap space, mm-hmm. or you might be in trouble there when you try to sign a 33-year-old guard and hope that you know, that's going to work out. It's the NFL. A lot of times 33 is, is on the older side. And then when you go over and look at some of the available skill players and think on a third down when they double-team Diggs and Thielen – would there be one more option there instead for for a check down where a guy can make a play after the catch or something like that or somebody else that just challenges the defense a little more than what they had this year? Jarius Wright left because of cap issues, and I thought he was that type of guy where, okay, Thielen's double team, Diggs is double team, but Jarius Wright's one-on-one and he can get open. And I thought that that was missing this year. So even though it's clear they – could use an improvement and probably spend some draft capital there. I also think that if you're trying to play your odds, what can help Kirk Cousins the most, maybe another skill player is where you should spend that space.
1: Yeah. And and like we were talking about, you know, when you get into this situation where you're debating things with people in in whatever form you do that, um, at the coffee shop or a restaurant or a bar with your friends or uh, the the one I'm going to talk about on social media on Twitter, it's a very absolute environment. Mm-hmm. So I am sure people were just like it's like
2: one or the other.
1: Yeah, like so you don't like <laughs> you don't value the O line and you think we should right <laughs> yep. and 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 that's not what you're suggesting. You're suggesting both need to be addressed, but it's not like 95% O-line, 5% skill. It, yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. of a balance, right? Yeah,
0: and, and I think that when you look at what they have and what we're pretty certain will go on to next year, yep. mm-hmm. you can look at the right tackle position in Brian O'Neill, who I thought stepped in to a very tough situation, kind of middle of the season, you're thrown in, you're a starter all of a sudden. Now with a full entire offseason, I've talked to players about this who have said the – Offseason between your rookie and sophomore season is the biggest one because you usually get the idea of where you need to be to be in the NFL and mm-hmm. what you need to do in that off season. It's much harder when you're going through the combine and all that sort of stuff. Now Brian oneill has got a full off-season. We saw some really special skill from him. His athleticism is fantastic. I liked his mentality. Absolutely. Mike Zimmer said that his toughness was more than, than he thought. And, I, and, I, and I'll agree with that. When I first talked to Brian O'Neill, I thought, he seems like a little too nice of a guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> but but once he got into it, it seemed like his toughness came yeah. out. So you can expect better play from him, I think. And Pat Alfline having a full offseason, unlike last year, I would expect better play from him. So you've got some natural improvement that's going to happen. Now it's just how can you sort of bump that up as much as possible without getting yourself into trouble? And, for example, in the draft, of course at 18, everyone's going to be talking about guards for the Vikings. But if you get to that spot and there's someone who is a far better prospect, I don't think you want to reach just because you need a guard, especially when a lot of guards who are in the second round, or we saw Elfline in the third round, can come in and make somewhat of an impact there. So, you know, I I think that you're right about the absolutes of, are you saying not to improve the offensive line? Of course not. And I'll sort of channel Mike Zimmer and say, you're trying to improve everything, right? I mean, almost every position. Uh, But when you're talking about what's, What's a really risky spot to overpay, or is it really risky to reach in the draft and then expect a kid to come in who maybe wasn't quite as good as the 18th overall pick and and just change your team entirely? I would put my money on a guy who is maybe a rookie who could change things as a number three receiver, or especially as some of these skill players that are available. I mean, I I look at Chicago and Taylor Gabriel.
2: Yeah, that is not gadget player. Yeah.
0: Yep. Nobody spent fifty million dollars on him, yep. and, and when you have Thielen and Diggs, you don't need somebody who's going to be a number one receiver. You just need someone who could be a little more dangerous than what they had last year
2: yeah, yeah and what you're talking about is really supply and demand like pretty much there's not that many tackles in this league who can do that. that's why people overpay for them and we've done it in the past with Alex Boone and Andre Smith and guys yeah. like that and, and Mike you mentioned those guys and, you, and yeah. you mentioned that in your article which yeah. which Pretty much what you're saying is don't go and overpay in free agency. Maybe go towards the draft and get some of those guys in later rounds as we've as we yep. done with Elfline and and some other, and O'Neal. And, and I and I loved your point on O'Neal in, in the offseason. You were always like, he can – everyone's like, he's a project pl- player. He's a tight yeah. end in high school who isn't quite ready for the NFL. And, and you always said, Wobby, you were like, this guy can make an impact this year. Yeah. He was thrown right into I, I, it, and my, he did
1: great. My point on O'Neal was – He's a second-round pick, and so, you know, he he is your right tackle of the future or something of the future. I don't know if it's left tackle or right tackle. If he
2: puts on weight, so, I could see him being a left tackle. So, at some So, so
1: the sooner you play him, the sooner his future is the present. That yeah. that was my whole thing. And and with all due respect to Rashad Hill, and anyone else that was being considered in the, the summer at at right tackle. You know, with all due respect to those guys, I mean, he, he wasn't trying to beat out Willie Rofe or, you know, like some Walter Jones. Like, I mean, the like, the, the sooner you threw him in, nice the better. Nice name drops there. Right. Thank you. <laughs> but um, now this article that we're, that we're referencing is on 1500ESPN.com, written by Matthew Collar. So go check it out if this conversation intrigues you. The last point I want to make on it, and, and if people go there and read it, Matthew, they'll see some of the research that you have done. With um, you know, the PFF grades and the history of the draft, but um, coincidentally, one thing I took a look at at the end of this season, just thinking about the offseason and what the Vikings might do and improving the offensive line was, I took a look at the top three rushing teams in the NFL. I think this Seattle? was Seattle. Yep, Seattle, Carolina, and Houston. This Houston, was like yeah. two, two or three games to go. So I don't know how how we finished, but for the balance of the season, Seattle, Carolina, and Houston were the best rushing teams okay. in, in a yard per uh, yards per carry basis. And then the top three teams in terms of sacks allowed, least sacks allowed. Mm-hmm. There was a tie at number three with New England and Pittsburgh. It was New Orleans, Indy, and then New England and Pittsburgh. So technically four teams. And I took a look at their starting offensive linemen and how did they acquire those players, right? And as you would expect, the most common way was a first-round pick. Right. Okay, what do you think number two was? It's also predictable.
0: It, Second-round Se- pick? Second-round <laughs> pick. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay,
1: now that's, this is where it gets crazy because number three, undrafted.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Undrafted. undrafted free I can see that. Agent. I can see
0: that. Sounds so,
2: like a New
1: England move. Right. And, and, well, yeah. And what, well, actually, lost, New England's. They lost
2: their left tackle to the Giants well, in the offseason. New England's
1: too, a great, a gr- I'm going to go from left tackle to right tackle here.
2: Nate Solder went okay. to the
1: Giants. Yeah, he left. Seventh round pick, third round pick, undrafted, fourth round pick, fifth round pick. For New England's offensive line, they're still in That's the class. Good playoffs.
0: point. You know, it's, uh, On that topic, and I would say this for Pittsburgh as well, one of the things that I was peeking into is just how quickly Kirk Cousins was able to get rid of the ball, and wondering about the scheme, because one thing with Tom Brady is, especially in his elder years, uh, he's still got great pocket presence, but he doesn't shuffle those feet quite as fast as he used to, and the same thing with Peyton Manning as he got older. That's not a mobile quarterback, but he would get rid of the ball quick, and if there was nothing there, he would throw it away, and Brady does the same thing, and I wonder about schematically as they go to hire a new offensive coordinator and have a full offseason to design around Kirk Cousins' strengths yeah. and hopefully get his input, too, on what's going to work best for him, him getting the ball out quicker and using some other things. Mike Zimmer's talked a ton about play action, other ways to help the offensive line. I, I thought this year there were a lot of games where, you know, Khalil Mack is one-on-one with Riley Reef for the whole game. And that's just not fair to Riley Reef. That's not fair to any left tackle.
1: It also happened with Jerry Hughes in the in the Bills
0: game. That's right. And Jerry yeah. Hughes to me is one of the most underrated yeah. players in the entire league. And so when you've got a left tackle who's solid but is not your uh, Anthony Munoz. How about that one? Ooh, I love um, it. I right. love the name drops today. Yeah. So, you know, unless it's Bruce Matthews, then maybe that guy yeah. uh, <laughs> is going to have a tough time against Khalil Mack, who's yeah. one of the uh, elite players in the league. So I think about some of the ways that they can help, and that's another reason not to go crazy is we saw Pat Shermer help a lot with the offensive line in 2017. Just schematically, Mike Zimmer mentioned different uh, creative run schemes that they would use in 2017 that maybe didn't exist so much this year. So we can have a tendency to just look at those offensive linemen that they have and say, oh, line, he had a horrible year. And okay, I get that, but there was context around that. Mm -hmm. And also, when you're going up against some of the best, Akeem Hicks is unbelievable. They played Aaron Donald this year, they played Fletcher Cox Cox this year. Right, so you, so can you scheme a little better to give Pat Elfline some help in those situations because everyone needs help with those type of players, and I think that that's an improvement they could make. It's another reason to not go crazy yeah. in the free agent market and reach for an Alex Boone. Alex Boone's a great example to bring up.
2: Yep, that was uh, good. Yeah. I really when like when it's one thing to make a claim like you did, but when you had the numbers and the names to back it up, obviously from past experience, which you can't, no one can deny the results there. So. Um, Another thing, you lose Tony Sperano. I mean, we know just seeing him in the building, he doesn't come up to guys like us and say hello and talk and and whatever, but those guys in the the offensive line room, they really respected him. And the other guy that was lost is Joe Berger. I think he was one of the players that – was probably one of the most valuable players on the team in years past with the way, I mean, how he was graded on PFF, whether whether he was at center or guard, and losing him and having Compton and, and no Nick Easton on the inside
0: in those two spots, that was uh, that was tough. So you bring up a great point about Joe Berger and just how the market works is that sometimes you can find a guy – who hasn't been playing, who's sort of been around, mm-hmm. that gives you just as much as some free agent who has starting experience. Yep. If you have the right scouting report or if you could sort of be clever with that. And Tom Compton is a good example. I, I know that fans were really hard on Tom Compton, but I think he gave them – sort of average play when he wasn't expected to be a starter there. He was just thrown into that role. And when you look at the PFF grades, he's in the mid-pack in the league, which also tells you just how good defensive linemen are these days. And what we expect, we expect them to just be shut down all the time. But those guys, I think, are the thickest group of talent in the league is on defensive line. And it's the opposite with offensive line where almost every team is scrambling outside of like the couple teams you mentioned. Absolutely. So, you know, I think when you're looking at that, it's a great example of, okay, Tom Compton wasn't really a starter very often in his career, had average play when he was. Got him for eight hundred thousand dollars, and for your bang for your buck, it's much better than going out and spending big money on somebody else that you're allocating a lot of cap to, yeah. where you could be giving it to your gadget player. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. It's right.
0: like Matt Khalil is another good example of that. Yeah. He's been what injured for how many games now that yeah. he's
1: been
2: with Carolina?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, last thing on this topic, and then I want to go to I want to go in quick fire fashion to three other ones before we let you get out of here, Matthew. But but one final thing on offensive line. Just an idea. Would you consider moving Riley Reef inside to guard?
0: You know, I think that that would be tough because of what we saw from Mike Remmers this year. Um, I actually thought that Remmers was a solid right tackle, but they were in a point of desperation with Joe Berger retiring to move him into right guard, and I thought that was a tough transition for him. When you've played the tackle your whole career – Going inside, I think, is really hard. Um, it's not impossible. For one of the reasons that Riley Reef is a good tackle is because of how good he is in, in run blocking. Mm-hmm. And if that's your logic is that he can really move and he's a good run blocker, then I can see it. I just think it's, I think that's really hard to do.
1: Okay. The, where I'm coming at that idea from is it, if, you, if you can do that, if that's an option, you know, it makes you a little more versatile – in the draft because now you're not just looking at guards you could look at a a left tackle or right tackle because I think you can consider O'Neal either right or left so now if you can consider O'Neal at right or left and you can consider moving Reef inside now at 18 your options are open at guard or either tackle that's the only thing I'm thinking
0: yeah my thought on that would be if you drafted a tackle at 18 I mean Riley Reef with his age and his cap hit probably aren't here for a super long time. He's not gonna be here the next 10 years with where his career is at. So if you're thinking about partly over the next few years, too, maybe you draft the best tackle, just take the best offensive lineman you can get with the understanding that if that tackle works out, 2020, 2021, you've got your right and left tackle set. And how many teams in the NFL can say they've got their right and left tackle set? So maybe for this year you might end up playing that guy at guard or you might have that guy try to move inside to compete with somebody else for a position. And that's where it's hard for this team in general. Because you are in a win-now situation, but if that's your best option, you don't want to say, oh, forget that tackle who's great at 18th overall, (laughs) right? Right. And I would say the same thing. Just for for any position. I mean, if it's a defensive tackle and they can't bring back Sheldon Richardson, well, there's some great defensive tackles in this draft. I think Vikings Twitter would probably burn to the ground if they took a defensive (laughs) player. But I would also probably think that it it was smart. And even even in hindsight, as president of the Will Hernandez fan club, Uh um, I would still say that when you draft a defensive back there, that's not a bad move because you always need defensive back yeah. depth, and we saw that this year. So yeah. I guess that's my entire point is if they don't draft a guard or they don't spend the big money on a 31- or 33-year-old guard, big free agent, like it, it isn't time to lose your mind because there are still other ways to support your quarterback. Yeah,
1: that's right. Uh, speaking of the quarterback, these are the quick-fire topics now. I've got three of them, okay? Okay. Um, where are you on Cousins?
0: In what way?
1: Um, well, I think he's probably the number one, number one guy who's taken fire for, not, for the Vikings not making the playoffs. Yeah. You know? And we, we all know this is a quarterback league, and he got the contract he got. Um, but we just spent um, you know probably 25 minutes talking about how the offensive line needs to be improved. And so <laughs> right. I, I kind of am of the school of thought where it's like, you can rag on me about one of those two things, mm-hmm. but not both. Because one leads to the other, I think.
0: Yeah, so the way that I would look at this and, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins is going to be we're going to talk about him for nine months until the beginning of next year. And then beyond that, of course, when you sign the contract that he signed, he's going to be front and center. Uh, The way that I would look at Cousins is he had opportunities to overcome some things in individual games that he didn't this year. And that is a disappointment to where your expectations were. Finishing 8-7-1 was not what anybody started out with at the beginning of the year. And five different times they were within one score in the fourth quarter and didn't come away with those wins. And that, to me, is where the quarterback needs to come through. Now, of course, as you mentioned, the absolutism that doesn't mean he'll never come through. Right, uh, I did right. an article looking at the primetime stat there, yep. and found that a lot of times he performed really well in those primetime games, and something didn't break his way—a kicker missed, a kick or miss, the fumble from someone else, or the defense didn't make a big yeah. stop. So I, I've never bought into that he can't win a big game, uh, but this year he didn't, and that's what they needed him to do. So when I look at the context of. Could he have gotten them into the playoffs with a big performance? He most certainly could have and didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is there better ways to support him next year? And that's what you have to do with a quarterback like Kirk Cousins is find every way possible to support him, and especially since this is your quarterback. Yep. So there isn't, you know, I've, I've been asked on Twitter, can can we trade him? Like, yeah. nope, you no can't one's trade him. No, one, yeah. No, yeah. no, you can't trade him. You can right. just do the best you can to put everything around right. him. And when you look at this season and a lot of the factors that went into it, uh, there are certainly things that won't break against them the way that they did this year. The kicker in Green Bay or the offensive line coach passing away and different things like that, that were absolutely factors. So I guess the way I look at it is um, just as across the board, do I think he could get them into the playoffs next year? Of course I do, especially with the defense that they're bringing back. But for this season, I don't look at it the same way he did. He looked at it as, well, this is year one of three. Well, okay, but you had a great roster around you and you had opportunities to do it and didn't. And that for fans, if you're looking at that, you expected more from him this season. So I I think that they will, in the offseason, give him enough improvement to give them a good chance to get into the playoffs next year.
1: Your gut on Barr and Richardson.
0: That's tough. I know Mike Zimmer just loves Anthony Barr Mm -hmm. and even sometimes calls press conferences to dispel rumors that didn't necessarily exist uh, about (laughs) Anthony Barr. But I think that that showed us, that's a way throwback just for you (laughs) um but uh but uh i i think that he's made it very clear uh, mike zimmer has how much he'd like anthony barr to stay around and if i'm not mistaken they franchise tagged chad greenway once upon a time Mm -hmm. i could see that outcome richardson when you look at the market for defensive tackles and how much they cost he was very very good this year i thought but it's going to be a lot of money. I mean, mm-hmm. you're probably Absolutely. talking $13, $14 million a year, and when you're in this cap situation, that's tough. And, and I think with Barr, some of his value of just being so versatile and intelligent is, is lost on the PFF grades or lost on the sacks or lost on the tackle totals is that Mike Zimmer feels like he can dial up anything with Anthony Barr out there, and he'll be in control of that. Uh, there, there's more value to that than just well, he was a 73 by right, PFF, right. you know, and and so I, I, if I'm putting a guess out there, I say Barr is back on the franchise tag, and Sheldon Richardson is probably somewhere else.
1: Okay, last thing before we let you go, divisional round picks. So I'll um I'll tee up the games, and then you guys each give us a quick pick. Let's and do I'll it. Uh, I'll provide a pick and move on to the next. I was game. three for four last week. By N- the way. Nice job, congratulations. <laughs> that must mean you were uh, underdog heavy because the dogs. I was. I was.
2: I was all road. Quor- yeah. The veteran quarterbacks. Dogs ruled the day in the yeah. wild
1: card weekend, which often happens, but it's often reversed on divisional round weekend, which is what we have in store for us this weekend. Indy at Kansas City, will open things up 3:35 on Saturday. Indy at Kansas City. Who you guys got?
2: You know. I'm gonna. I, you got to go Kansas City here. Obviously, if you're picking with the spread, maybe you go with the Colts, which I think they're getting like six. It's five right five, now. Five mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I would. Maybe with the spread, I'd take the Colts, but for the game, you got to go with Kansas City. I know they've choked
0: in the past to mm-hmm. to the
2: Colts. So, Matthew, teeing that
0: up. There is nobody that's more fun to watch than Patrick Mahomes, but. Frank Reich, man, he is just calling a game these days. He's on yeah. fire. A watch. He is on fire. And uh, you mentioned that we're talking offensive lines. Indianapolis is a great example of a Very team good. that's mm-hmm. redone their line. I'm going to go the upset. I think Andrew Luck like goes in it. there and pulls
1: okay. it. Okay. All right. Like so it. Matthew's on the Colts. I'm on the Chiefs. Chris?
2: Yep. I'm going Chiefs. Chiefs. That's definitely got to go Chiefs. All right.
1: Philly at New Orleans. This will you take this one first. This will dream. wrap up divisional round weekend, I believe. I believe that game is um uh, the, the late is on one? Sunday, yeah. But uh anyway, Philly at New Orleans.
0: So does uh, Nick Foles have a Drew Brees voodoo doll or something? <laughs> probably. Or, uh, right? Um, probably does. I'm going New Orleans. I think that they're going to end up in the Super Bowl. And uh, if you want a blazing hot take for your podcast, I think yeah. Drew Brees wins the Super Bowl and retires. I love after it. That. Hot yeah. take. You we know, like hot. So, so I will pick uh, New Orleans
2: for this mm, one. Chrissy, I'm going. I'm going New Orleans too. Yeah. You got to go with the team there. Same here. I'm on New Orleans. One All of the toughest of place,
0: places to play,
2: as yep. you probably know, being yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I have
1: been there. It is hard to go there and win. Now, the Eagles, on this run they've been on in the last two postseasons and ends of the regular season, they've won a bunch of their games outside on the grass. Yep. And uh, this is, I know they won the Super Bowl inside U.S. Bank Stadium, but this is a, a factory made playoff game for the Saints.
2: I want to put it out that's there. That's going to be a tough I environment. Think, I think the Bears would have had a chance to beat. The maybe we'll see. But that's we'll, why I wanted well, No,
1: it. we won't see, we'll never know. <laughs> um, that'll be a fun game to watch. Dallas at the Rams. This is Saturday night. Dallas at the Rams, Saturday night. Um, Rams off a bye, Cowboys off of a win over the Seahawks. The spread is seven. I know Chrissy's always wondering about the spread. It's seven. <laughs> uh,
2: Dallas with at the, the Rams. Spread, I'm taking Dallas for sure. I think Dallas has a chance to win this game. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think if you run the ball with Ezekiel with Elliott and that good defense against a young quarterback like Goff, a lot of people forget he hasn't been so hot lately, mm-hmm. the past couple of weeks of the regular season. So you're on Dallas? I'm on Dallas.
0: I'm going Dallas. Matthew? I, I, it's bold, and I like it. I'm going bold. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go Sean McVay, the genius. We'll mm-hmm. see uh, against a really good defense yeah. how much he can genius himself to a win there. So I'm going to go Rams. All right.
1: I'm on Dallas. Wow. I like Dallas there. Explain. Um, my, my, my angle on Dallas on wildcard weekend because I really like them against Seattle I love their linebackers yeah their linebackers are good but my angle was with Dallas on wildcard weekend was Ezekiel Elliott did not play in week 17 and did not carry more than 18 times in a game in the month of December mm-hmm. and their offensive line was banged up in the second half of the season but they were all the starters were healthy for the playoff game oh, wow. so I really liked how Jason Garrett set that up um, to close the season and then go into the playoffs with a fresh Ezekiel Elliott yep. and offensive line. And so I like that going into the Rams.
0: And with Dak Prescott, he doesn't have big numbers, but he has this gamer to he does. him where I he can just make – I mean, he did it against Seattle. Just step, step up, make a play, run over a linebacker into the end zone or something. And Agreed. So I, I could see that pick. I think that game's a hard one to pick.
1: It is a hard one to pick, and I can't wait to watch it. It'll be Saturday night. Last one, uh, Chargers, who are red hot also, at the Patriots, who are um, – Invincible on divisional round weekend.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I would love to see Phillip Rivers make an AFC championship, mm-hmm. go to a Super Bowl even just because he's been so good for so long. Brady in that stadium, I don't know. I just can't pick against him. I, I can't, can't pick against the Patriots at home. Chrissy
2: loves picking against the Patriots. I'm I think do he's it. gonna do it right here. You know I you know I have to pick against the Patriots. I right. grew up absolutely hating them, but um yeah. He's a New York kid. Yeah. The uh, ah. the Chargers are eight and one on the road this year. So there's my stat to back mm-hmm. it up, including yeah. their win last week. So um, I will go with the Chargers.
1: Well, Rivers is 0-4 straight up at Foxborough. So there's another <laughs> stat that uh, the yeah, Foxborough I think he's like faithful will throw in back his in your last, face. I think like
2: in his last games against Tom Brady. You think something. the
1: Patriots are any good on divisional round weekend? 11-1 <laughs> and 1 straight up on divisional round weekend off a of bye.
2: Yeah, I'm going out there. I don't, I'm doing it. I don't care.
1: I'll take New England. The today. extra
2: week for
0: Belichick to prepare? Uh, yeah, that's tough. Know.
1: That's a tough environment. The Chargers... L.A. to Baltimore, back to L.A., out to New England. Yeah, it's rough. That's rough, man. That's (laughs) tough right there. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Everyone can follow your work on Twitter, at Matthew Collar, and, of course, at 1500ESPN.com, right? Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. All righty. Again, our thanks to Matthew Collar for joining us on the Wobcast. He makes his Wobcast debut. He's a fun guest. He loves football, so I'm sure we'll have him on Again, down the road. Okay, before we go, let's make sure we get to some fan mail. Chrissy, what do you got?
2: All right, the first one from Ron Backman in Destin, Florida. The margin be- between success and failure in the NFL is smaller than most fans realize. Without pointing fingers, can you identify three specific plays in 2018 hmm. that if occurred differently could have given us a playoff year? I got one okay. like, right at the top of my head. Okay, I got a couple.
1: All right, so let's try not to leave any important ones out. And the reason I say that is because the two that popped into my mind both were early in the season. Okay. So let's try and rack our brains for later in the season plays. I got one. Okay, I got three. I got I got one later in the season and two early.
2: I have an early one, and then I have one like mid season that, like I think if that play didn't happen, I think we were just okay. Great. All right, here we go.
1: Now, um, in fairness, this can work the other way too. Where yeah. it's like, if that play didn't happen, you would not have won the game. So, like, if Linval doesn't house that touchdown in Philly, we're not winning that game. I so, agree. But uh, to to answer the question, three plays that if they go the other way, maybe the Vikings make the playoffs. I think you have to start the kick in Lambeau Field. Yep. Okay, so that's one. My my second one comes the next week. Which one is that? The penalty that was called on Linval Joseph for helmet-to-helmet contact on Josh Allen on the first drive of the Bills game where the Vikings got off the field on third down. That three was a and out.
2: huge penalty.
1: Three and out. They flag us for helmet-to-helmet contact on the quarterback. And they score a touchdown. The Bills get a first down, and they score a touchdown. And eventually, I think they were up 17-0 in that game.
2: Yep, a couple fumbles and so turnovers. Take, yep. take
1: that penalty away, and I wonder what happens there. So one of those two plays. And my third play is, and I don't know which one exactly it is, but we were losing 6-0 to zero at Seattle, and we were inside the five-yard line and with like four, three or four minutes to go. I think if we score a touchdown there, I think we win the game. That would have been huge. All right, so those are my three plays.
2: All right, I think I can, I can come, come up with three here. Okay. My first one, obviously the kick, I thought of that, but then my first one would be in the Saints game. If Adam Thielen doesn't fumble that oh, ball, yeah, a good one. Yeah. On that fumble, I think we would have, we would have been what at the time there. If we score on that drive, I think we take the lead. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. And they, end up, they ended up with seven yeah. points. Right. Ugh, that was a killer. Yeah. Especially a home game where you could beat one of the best teams in the NFC. That would have been great. Um, my next one is Weatherly's uh, penalty. In the what was that the, oh, Bears, the Bears game? Yeah, yeah, right. That was the last game of the season. Weatherly had a bad penalty, um, not on his part, but on the yeah. league a officials' tough, part. Tough call. Tough call, yeah. um, where he was called for roughing the passer, and, and that one ended on up on a with third a, down. On yeah. a third down, Vikings got the big stop, and he was called for that penalty. Bears ended up scoring, which was tough. And then my last one. Wait, what was my last one? I had one more. Damn it! I had one in my head. That I was like ready to just go off on,
1: the kick, the bills, we lost to the bears at
2: Soldier Field. Oh, oh. the uh, blocked the.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, go
2: go. The last one was in the Seattle game as well. Uh-huh, yeah, when a player on the linebacker Bobby Wagner, oh yeah, on the, the Seattle Seahawks, yeah. used both of his yeah. arms to catapult himself, which is a hundred percent illegal. To use leverage and block the kick, yeah, and that cost the Vikings big time in a must-win game against the Seahawks. We did not win that game, so those are my three. I went, I went back and forth there from beginning to the end to the middle, but ugh, those were those were killers. It feels dirty to do that. This is a forward-looking business. We can't look back like that, but we had to
1: answer the question. So okay, yeah,
2: thanks for uh, (laughs) thanks for bringing us back to that, Ron. We appreciate it. (laughs) All right, next next one from Ithaca, Michigan, Jim Lyon. Why isn't Coach Zimmer looking for someone fresh and new to be offensive coordinator? Also, nothing will get that much better until the, offense, until the offensive line gets fixed. The next guy will have the same fate as the previous guy. Will Hernandez would have looked good on this team. <laughs> uh, we, we know the Will Hernandez fan the club. second
1: mention of Will Hernandez on today's Wobcast. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I don't know exactly what Zim is looking for in an offensive coordinator. If it's a fresh face, if it's a familiar face, and I, I think that matters. You know, for Zim, it matters. Uh, for me, it doesn't. I mean, I, I want you, you just want a coordinator who can come in here and put good plans together and get the most out of his players. And some weeks you're going to need to feature the run. Some weeks you're going to need to feature the pass. Some weeks you're going to need a blend. And um, I think that, that comes and goes. But to me, it's not about a retread or not a retread or a first-year guy or not a first-year guy. To me, it's it's about finding a guy who can get the most out of his players. So I, I don't know exactly what Zim's looking for. I think Kevin Stefanski would be a great choice.
2: I really do too. You he know, was because, my favorite at the beginning of the year
1: before we hired yeah, Flip. So now now you don't have to start over with Cousins. you got a guy who knows Cousins. You know, and knows all the offensive personnel on this team, and I think there's value in that. You've already got something started. Um, You want to get it better. You want to make it better, but at least it's already started. You don't have to go through the process of starting over. So I think there are are virtues that Stefanski has that would be really good. Um, If it doesn't end up being Kevin, I think there are some good names out there to consider. Um, But to me, it's not about a retread or a guy doing it for the first time or fresh ideas or old ideas. It's just about ideas that work.
2: Yeah, you go with all these fresh, new, young, offensive-minded coaches that everyone's so high on these days. But people forget, when Pat Shermer took over this offense, it was just about simplicity in the offense. It was pretty much just... Doing what your quarterback did best at the time It was Case Keenum and Bradford, and he adjusted plans for both those guys. And um, man, he had us running the ball, and he had us—he had the offense looking uh, clicking on all cylinders with a simple approach on offense. So, yep. yep. All right, number three, Tim Negri, Idaho. If Stefanski is hired as the new OC, will the Vikings be able to block him from leaving the following year? I hated to see Pat go to the Giants. If Stefanski can leave after one year, then would it be a terrible idea to hire him? Because if he does good, some team will then hire him as a head coach. <laughs> Just the way the league works. Yeah, that's that's that is how newest, the league works. Newest, yeah. brightest guy running things. So yeah. yeah, that that yeah. is how the league works. That's
1: how the league works. And look, look you, whether you're a, a manager at your job or you're a, you're Mike Zimmer, when people underneath you get promoted, get hired at higher jobs, that's a good look for you. That means that they were performing well for you, and that probably means your program was doing well. So I get it. You don't like losing good coaches, but it's also a sign that something was going right. So uh, the Vikings would not be able to block Kevin from head coach interviews if he was their coordinator. You can't block someone from, uh, from becoming a head coach. So, nope, the Vikings would not be able to block Kevin. If you got head coach overtures next offseason, but I don't think that should dissuade the Vikings from considering Kevin to be the OC for this year. Everything is a year-to-year proposition in this league.
2: It's a year-to-year league. It's a week-to-week league. You just got to take it day by day. Look at the Eagles Super Bowl staff that they had under Doug Peterson. It was Frank Reich, who now coached He was the offensive coordinator there, now the head coach of the Colts probably the coach of the year um, took them to the playoffs this year they'll compete this weekend and then obviously flip was the quarterback's coach and he came here and was the offensive coordinator so that's what happens in this league and uh, there's no stopping it that's right okay uh, divisional round weekend coming up Uh,
1: i was three and one last week i got the bears eagles game wrong Chrissy, you were 3-1 last week. You got the Seahawks-Cowboys game wrong.
2: Yep, I went went with Russell on that one.
1: Yeah, you are on Kansas City, Dallas, the Chargers, and the Saints this weekend. I am on Kansas City, Dallas, the Patriots, and the Saints this weekend. So hope you guys all enjoy watching the games. Um, And we hope you come back next week for another edition of the Wobcast where we will recap the division around weekend of the playoffs, and of course, continue to break down the Vikings offseason. Hopefully, by then, we'll have an offensive coordinator to talk about and maybe to talk to. That would be great here at TCO Performance Center in Egan. On behalf of Matthew Collar and co host and producer Chris Corso, we thank you for listening to today's Wabcast presentation. Hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the games, Skull Vikings.
2: So, yeah, I'll start